let me or Lily Osborne know after the service and we'll get you set up. Uh, today is the sixth message in this ongoing sermon series that we've titled Refresh. And if you haven't been with us, uh, we've just simply been asking the question, what do you do when life crashes? Um, how do you deal with those moments when you need to reset or reboot or refresh your life? And then I guess the real question is, how do you click the refresh button much like you would on your computer? And the good answer is that we're finding that Jesus offered the answer in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us what we call the Beatitudes. It's a list, right, of personal refreshment steps that we can take. And the Beatitudes are really attitudes that, that ought to be. And so to get us into our discussion today, um, I want to begin by taking you back to the 1930s and the 1940s. Um, there's a fun occurrence that happened back then. In the 30s and 40s, companies began to place advertising signs on the highways that appeared in sequence. How many of you have seen these signs? You see one, 100 yards later, there's another one, and they don't make any sense unless you read them and drive down the road back to back to back. Well, the inventor of that concept of advertising was a company called Burma Shave. It was a shaving cream company, right? And they pioneered the creative idea, five signs in sequence placed every 100 yards or so, and oftentimes, these, these, these series of advertising signs, they were humorous, and they left the passenger smiling. So if I can this morning, I just want to share with you several of these Burma um, shave advertising signs. And, and here's how one went. It said, a peach looks good with lots of fuzz, but man's no peach and never was Burma shave, right? Um, here's another one. It would be more fun to go by air but we can't hang these signs up there, Burma shade. Another one, have pity on the mighty Caesars, they pulled their whiskers out with tweezers, Burma shade. Um, I, I love these, and so here's another one. Don't kiss your girlfriend at the gate, love may be blind, but the neighbors ain't, Burma shade, right? And then, and then remember at that time, most of the highways, they were two lanes back then, and cars weren't air conditioned, so you can understand this one with that in mind. It said, don't stick your elbow out too far. It might go home in another car, Burma shave. And then my favorite for last here, use our cream and we betcha girls won't wait. They'll come and get you, Burma shave. Um, now, Pastor, why in the world are we walking through these Burma shave signs? Well, the answer is because these, these Burma Shave advertising signs can help us understand the Beatitudes. You see, to fully understand the Beatitudes, you have to study and apply each one in a proper sequence. We've been talking about that they're sequential in order. And each new one builds on all the ones that were previous unto it. And that's why we've been studying these seven steps, spelling out the word refresh. I hope you realize the first letter of those signs when we get there, right? Uh, many of you are going, oh, I didn't notice that. But they're spelling out the word refresh, okay? And so that's where we've been. But we have an exciting opportunity today before we really dive in to quote our refresh memory first. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're new among us today, you hadn't been working on the memory verse, I understand. But the rest of us have, and they're going to blow your socks off today. They have memorized a memory verse. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Do not put, ow, don't put it on the screen. All right, here we go. 
Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Let's say it again. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You did very, very good. I'm very, very pleased, okay? Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Very good. All right, now grab your Bibles. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 5, this time verses 1 through 8. And as I said, we've been building and building as we go. And today we're adding the eighth verse, our, our new beatitude. Now, let's, let's, let's review all this together as we read. For those of you that haven't been here, these are our steps to refreshment that come out of these verses, these beatitudes. And with each one, we've been establishing and learning an attitude that God's asking us to have. And let's just read together and we'll review as we go, okay? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Stop right there. Uh, with that beatitude, our step is to realize that I'm not God. And when you realize that you're not God, that, that you have needs, right, that you're not the divine, the attitude is I'm totally helpless. We're talking about spiritually. Realize I'm not God and then recognize and have the attitude I'm totally helpless. The second beatitude, blessed are those then who mourn in spirit, for, who mourn for they will be comforted. Now that second beatitude is to earnestly believe, right, that God exists and that you matter to him. Your helplessness causes you to mourn. And the attitude is, all of a sudden I realize, I believe God can help me. So recognize that you're not God, that you're helpless, and now God cares and he can help you. The third beatitude, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. The step here is to fully submit your life and will to Christ's control. I'm helpless. God can help me, and now I'll be meek without being weak. Remember, meekness is strength under control. And now let's build on that, the next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they will be so the fourth step is receive God's righteousness as a gift of grace. In other words, the attitude you're developing is I'm going to choose to cooperate with God's change process in me. I'm helpless. I need his help in my meekness, right? I say, God, you want to work on my life, and I want you to work on my life too. Come and change me. I'm going to cooperate with you. And then the beatitude we dealt with last week is this one. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And the step here is to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and the attitude is, I'll show mercy because I have desperately needed mercy, right? And that brings us to our sixth step. If, if you want refreshing in your personal life, if you want refreshing in your spiritual life, here's the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Look behind me at our step. 
It says seek purity, but I want to add to that. Always, I keep reminding you, the baptistry was only so wide. There's more that we need to say. Seek purity instead of perfection. And the attitude here is I'll admit my faults and I'll accept God's cleansing. Last week was I'll show mercy because I need mercy. But now we're saying I will admit my faults and I'll accept God's cleansing. May God bless the reading and the study of his word today. You may be seated. So we're talking about being pure in heart. And I have three questions today that that I want to ask and then let's talk about together. And the first question is, what does it really mean to be pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that exactly mean? Well, I have several answers. Let's start by just getting into this a little bit. The biblical word for heart is cardia, right? It's where we get our word cardiac. We can recognize that today. And we know when we talk about cardiac, going to the cardiologist, we're talking about a muscle in our chest that pumps blood to all areas of our body. But when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he wasn't talking about having a pumping heart that was pure from disease or cholesterol, right? No, in the Bible, we understand this also. The heart is used to describe the control center of someone's life. It's synonymous with what we call the mind today. And the Bible teaches that the heart is the essence of, of who we are. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. So when Jesus talked about being pure in heart, he, he was talking about having inner purity. He was talking about who we are deep down, right? And the idea of, of heart purity carries two meanings. Let's talk about these two things. First... Purity means to be clean. Now, the word Jesus used was catharizo, all right? It's where we get our word catharsis. And there's only one way to be spiritually cleansed, and that's how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one way that you can have spiritual cleansing. You may have always wondered, how can I be clean in the eyes of God? It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies. In other words, catharizos us from all sin. There's an, a great old hymn that, answer, that asks and answers that question, the most important question of life. What can wash away my sin? Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, Right? But here's the problem. Sometimes we've equated that purity as being perfect. And someone needs to hear this today, maybe all of us, purity is not the same as being perfect. Confusion surrounds the last verse of Matthew 5. We're studying Matthew 5, 1 through 8. But if you go over to the very last verse of Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. Now, that word translated perfect there is the word teleos. It means to be complete or mature. It doesn't mean to be without mistake. It doesn't mean to be perfect the way we understand it. Don't think God expects you to be perfect because he doesn't. He just expects you, according to Jesus, to grow up and be mature. He expects you, in other words, to stay clean. Okay? So the very first thing that we're saying today is purity means to be clean. The second thing, purity means to have undivided loyalty. 
Let's talk about that. Many of us have loyalties in our life, but sometimes we have a little bit of this loyalty and a little bit of that loyalty, right? But maybe a better word here is to be unmixed or undiluted. A good example is pure gold. Many people have gold and jewelry that they're wearing right now. Uh, pure gold doesn't have any mixture of other metals. To be pure in heart means to be undiluted in our commitment to Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine this morning that, that I had three water bottles sitting here on the pulpit, right? And, and to all of us, they look exactly the same. The, the difference would be in the first one, I mixed a little bit of salt in that one. In the second one, I mixed a little bit of sugar in that one. But in the third one, I never opened the cap. It looks exactly the same, right? But it's the only one that's pure because it doesn't have anything else mixed in. And, and, and that's what it means to be pure. Pure is unmixed or undiluted. So to be pure of heart means that you reserve first place in your life for Jesus Christ only. It means that you don't have any other person, any other purpose, any other possession that dilutes your commitment unto Jesus. And, and here's the truth for us. You can't live for God by keeping one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And that's exactly what Christ is saying. What does it mean to be pure of heart? It means to be clean. It means to be undivided in your loyalty. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's ask our second question. So we understand what it means to be pure, but, but here's the crux of it, right? How do I maintain a pure heart? Now we've delved into a more difficult subject matter. This is the one that you and I deal with every single day of our lives. We, we sometimes feel that we're in purity, but five seconds later we're not. How do I maintain a pure heart? Well, there are three things that we really need to do to maintain purity. Let's, let's list these for ourselves, okay? Three things that we have to do to maintain purity. First of all, we have to continually open our hearts to the searchlight of God's Spirit. Let me, let me tell you a good prayer that, that we can pray. It's Psalm 139. It says this, Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Oh, we have to ask God to do that, to recognize that we have issues. And we tend, I say that because we tend to deny our faults and sins. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 28, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces his sin finds mercy. So we have to continually, excuse me, open our hearts to the searchlight of God's Spirit. God, have a look inside, right? The, the second thing, remember that God's conviction is not condemnation. So when we ask God to look inside, we're going to be convicted. We should be convicted. It's going to happen. But that's not condemnation. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of our sin to make us feel guilty. He convicts us so that we'll realize that, hey, I need to be clean. Listen to John chapter 3, verse 17. We all know John 3, 16. But listen to the verse that follows. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him think about this when you're dirty and sweaty when you've worked outside for a full day or a full afternoon when you're dirty and sweaty it's a reminder that you need to take a shower 
And the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we'll understand the need to confess our sins and experience God's cleansing power. God speaks to us. He convicts us because He wants to move us from here to there. He wants us to move towards purity. The third thing that we have to do to maintain purity, regularly confess our sins to maintain fellowship with God. And, and I believe this, one of the most important verses that we can ever learn is 1 John, in, in 1 John 1, and it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, the reason that, that you and I need to regularly confess our sins is, to maintain, is not to maintain our salvation, but the reason we confess our sins is to maintain our fellowship with God. You understand that? I want you to envision, all right? And this, this is just one of your pastor's weak illustrations. I'm going to do my best. It makes sense to me. I want you to imagine that between God and us are, are two streams, two ropes, whatever you want to see in your mind, okay? Kind of like you might see with a marionette or a, or a puppet, something like that. But one of those lines between us and God, that's relationship, right? And when you give your life to God through his son, Jesus Christ, when you are saved, when you're born again, that line between you and God, it will never be broken again. It, it's kind of like the line that I had with Courtney, Emily, and Ryan. There's nothing that they can ever do that will separate them from being my daughters and son. That's a relationship that will never be broken. However, on this line between us and God is the line that represents fellowship. And when we fail God, when we sin against God, when we do something ridiculous and that we all do that, sometimes that fellowship line is broken between us and God. And that's happened in your life. When you sin, you don't want to go to church because you feel bad about what's happened. You don't want to be around believers because you feel guilty. And all of that happens. And sometimes it will happen with our own children, right? They'll do some bonehead move and there'll be fellowship that's broken between parent and child for a period of time. But we confess our sins, right? We confess our sins. This is why we so deeply need to remain pure and clean. When we confess our sins, that line of fellowship is reestablished with God. We feel everything is right with the world again, right? Fellowship is restored. I want you to think about this. This is how important purity is. There's an interesting animal that lives in northern Europe. It's called an ermine. Now, many people think an ermine is a mink, but don't let this send you for a loop. It's just a short-tailed weasel, okay? But, but the ermine is interesting in this subject because it's prized for its lustrous fur. And it's hunted for that fur. Interestingly enough, in the winter, the ermine's like a chameleon. Its fur becomes snow white to protect it from its predators, and the ermine chooses to protect the purity of its fur against anything that would soil or stain its white color. If it did that, it could be discovered out in the snow. Well, hunters have learned of that instinct. So instead of using snares or traps, they'll actually find the ermine's home. Maybe it's under the cleft of a rock, maybe a hollowed out log. And they'll smear all kinds of grime around the entrance to the ermine's hole or its home. Okay. And then they set the dogs loose to chase the ermine. And when the ermine flees to its home, it will actually refuse to enter in. Why? Because it might get its fur dirty. 
It might ruin or soil its white coat. Uh, Some say for the ermine, purity is more precious than life itself. That's a great parable for the Christian, right? Uh, We would do well to hate sin that much. We would do well to hate unrighteousness as much as the ermine hates grime. And, And so there are three things that we have to do to maintain purity. Continually open up our hearts to the searchlight of God's Spirit. Remember that God's conviction is not condemnation, right? But regularly confess our sin to maintain fellowship with God, have that line reconnected, and then pursue purity above even life itself. Uh, So we have two questions down so far. What does it mean to be pure of heart? How, How do we maintain a pure heart? And now the third question, what's the reward for having a pure heart? Well, this gets into the parable itself. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, say it with me, for they will see God. Let's say it again, the whole thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So the reward for a pure heart is we get to see God. Pastor, does that mean I'm going to look up into the sky and see His face right there in the clouds? I don't think so. I don't think that's what the Scripture is saying. I think it means that we're going to see evidence of God everywhere. Uh, Let me give you three ways that you can see God. And this is so exciting to me as I begin to think about this this week. First of all, you'll see God's grace and you'll worship Him. You'll see God's grace and you'll worship Him. One of the biggest obstacles struggling um, people face is their reluctance to really believe that God has truly forgiven them. They think there's no way God can forgive that. There's no way God can forgive me, right? In other words, they have a hard time accepting forgiveness. Once you've placed your faith in God, once you believe that God has forgiven you and you forgive yourself, everything changes. Listen to what um, psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote. He said, if I could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. Uh, That's amazing, right? The guilt of sin weighs on people. And it weighs on us. You'll say today, Pastor, it weighs on me. One of Satan's most destructive strategies is, is to try to make forgiven Christians feel guilt and shame. He sneaks up behind believers, born again believers like you and me, and he whispers, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good, right? And many people start to believe it. But the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from what? All sin. Not some of it, but all of it. All of it. So friends, stop carrying the guilt of unforgiven sin and accept God's grace and forgiveness. And then once you catch a glimpse of God's grace, your only response is to do what? Worship Him. Oh my goodness. There's a God who loves even me. There's a God who can forgive even me. God, give me some of that amazing grace. And then we worship Him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God in His graciousness. Right? Let me give you a second one today. You'll see God's power... And you'll trust Him. You'll see God's grace and you'll worship Him. You'll see God's power and you'll trust Him. How many of you have ever looked into a starry night sky and seen God's creative power? Anybody? Oh, yeah. 
Growing up in West Texas, you know, that's one of the things that we enjoyed. There's not a lot of lights out there. Oh, my goodness, God would light up the nighttime sky. Go with me to 1961. In 1961, the first man in space was Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. And it was reported that when he was in space, he said, I don't see any God up here. But actually, according to the transcripts, Gagarin never said those words. It was actually the Soviet premier, Nikita Khrushchev. Gagarin flew into space, he said, but he didn't see God there. Folks, let me say this. If you don't see God on earth, you'll never see him in space. If you don't see God here, you'll never see him there. The, question, the atheist asked the question, where is God? But the Bible asked the question, where is God not? Right? Listen to the psalmist. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and, and you're there too. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you're already there waiting. That's the message translation. When you look and see God's power, His creative power, when you're walking with God and, and living pure in heart in fellowship, you will see God's grace and you'll worship Him. You'll see God's power and you will trust Him. Let me give you a third one. You'll see God's work, and you'll join Him. You'll see God's work, and you'll join Him. Friend, when you're pure in heart, you have the ability to see where God is working and moving in the world, and then you get to be a part of it. Several years ago, it was obvious, obvious to me, and many of us, that God was moving in Costa Rica. We had just gone to the state of Washington to work with migrant Hispanics. One of our very first mission trips, almost 10 years ago, really amazing. We had just gone up and we had worked in the apple orchards of, of Washington with migrant Hispanics. And one of our members came to me and said, hey, if we can work with God's people up there, do you think we can work down in Costa Rica? I happen to have access to a pineapple plantation with migrant Hispanics all over it. And we went down and we found a connection and we, we felt God say go. And we went down to Costa Rica and we started ministering and found out, guess what? You can take over a school for an entire day and do a Bible club, a one-day VBS. We saw God working there and we simply joined Him. Friend, you can see God if you'll just take your eyes off yourself, your own problems, and your sin, you see. And you'll see Him working and every single one of us in this room can join Him and be apart. Let's go back to our memory verse. I'm proud of you still, by the way. You did great. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Here's admonition to us today. Let Jesus cleanse your heart. Purify your motives and give him your undivided and unmixed loyalty. Keep your sins confessed, up to date, so that you can walk in fellowship with the Father. If you do this, Jesus promised, you will see God. One of our heroes in the Christian faith is a sweet, dear woman named Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, as you know, was a blind poet who provided lyrics for over 
8,000 hymns. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She, she wrote that. And one day this well-meaning minister said to, to Fanny Crosby, it's a great pity that the Lord did not give you sight. And she said this, oh, if I could only have one request, it would be to be born blind. And the minister said, Fanny, why? And she said, because when I get to heaven, the first face these blind eyes will ever see is the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see.